Welcome to Well Examined, the podcast where science and discovery meet intuition and wellness with your host, Christine Dynes. Each episode, I'll chat with the best minds in integrative epigenetic health, biohacking, neuroscience, quantum healing, and lifestyle design, as well as a slew of reputable citizen scientists across all facets of wellness. Welcome, friends. Today, I'm joined by Lady Baskaran for my first episode on lifestyle design here at Well Examined. Lady is the mother of two young kids, has seen more than half the world, is an avid CrossFitter, and is the co-founder and chief strategist of the certified women-owned Helen and Gertrude, a data-driven creative ad agency in New York. I met Lady a couple of years back through a family friend and have been working with her since. On one of our recent work trips, I got to witness business by day, lay day, and then at night, we talked about our families, traveling, and what inspires us both to do what we do. Through this new series on lifestyle design and in the spirit of epigenetics, we're exploring the expanse of what informs health and happiness. Welcome, lady. Thanks for being here today. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me and thank you for the kind introduction. Yeah, just by getting to know you over the past couple of years, I really love how you keep the ship smoothly sailing during the workday, and then you're able to balance it out with, you know, taking the night off and enjoying, uh, you know, friends and conversations. You have really great work-life balance, and I was inspired to kick off this lifestyle design series with someone who's doing life really well. <laughs> My husband would say otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he stands back in awe watching it all come together. Um, yeah. So a huge part of this series on lifestyle design is sharing how our family traditions and cultures, parents, caretakers, and our communities shape who we become today. And I've had this pleasure of seeing your data-driven, organized, logical side in action during the workday. And for anyone who's wondering what I'm doing working with a creative ad agency, most of my listeners know uh, I work with the Biomed Center and Lady has been helping bring uh, creative vision to the Biomed Center to help spread uh, biological medical awareness. So that's how I've gotten to know her. So, uh, you know, I've gotten to see her in action. And then we got to go out for dinner to experience, you know, your fun, loving, gregarious nature. And I was thinking my guests as your parents are very unique and they've definitely influenced who you become. Are you close with your parents? What's your relationship like with them? Yeah, I'm very close with my parents. So my dad has been my mentor, career advisor, really my voice of reason forever. <laughs> yeah, he's he's very different. So he has a doctorate degree in mechanical engineering and works in human resources. He's very, very logical, left-brained. Everything has to make sense. <laughs> Whereas, um, my mom's my, I would say she's my best friend. She's the best. Um, and she is, she's a force of change is how I would describe her. She's fearless. Um, but she actually has her PhD in marriage and family therapy. So the opposite side of the spectrum. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I've come from both sides. You know, my, my dad wanted engineering. My mom wanted me to be a painter. And that's why I said, all right, business school. We'll, we'll land somewhere in the middle. And that's kind of how I have gotten where I am. Oh my gosh. How cool. I love that. I consider my mom my best friend too. So that's totally relatable. 
Yeah, I keep telling her if I got married again, that she'd be my maid of honor and just, just that's it. <laughs> that's <laughs> so <my> fun. <laughs> well, maybe you'll renew your vows and, you know, that'll, that'll be what happens. That'll be cool. <laughs> that's fine. I'd rather just go out with her instead. So. so, you know, my next question is really about the diverse business nature for H&G. And I'm curious, based on what you just said, uh, how your parents maybe have influenced how that came to be. You know, H&G is one of the most inclusive, diverse businesses I've ever worked with. I found the more inclusive yet diverse, the more creative and expansive the communication is within businesses. So I'm curious why inclusivity is so essential. And do you feel like part of how you were raised shaped that? Yeah, absolutely. So at H&G, I mean, we're not perfect, but we work we work hard for inclusivity and to ensure that we have representation from all walks of life. And the reason for that is that, you know, your differences is, like you said, what brings different ideas, different understandings, different perspectives into the work that we do. Um, so with that, I, I think for me, the way that we grew up has always been, you know, my family's been everywhere and it's normal to cross borders and it's normal to travel, to see things, to explore the world, to question um, and to really realize that, you know, everybody has a story as to where they're coming from um, and being able to eat, weave that into the final product is is really quite magical. And I think it makes us stronger um, as to where we are. But yeah, growing up, that is that is where we came from. My family's originally from Spain. They moved to Mexico. My dad remarried in Argentina. <laughs> like <everyone laughs> has been a big array, even though everyone just assumes that I'm Hispanic. We're we're really a big blend of different countries that has come together into to who we currently are. That's so cool. Well, it makes sense that you're continuing on uh, the expansive modern melting pot nature that New York is by hosting a business <laughs> there, which is very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny because whenever I get asked where I'm from, that's always been a complicated answer. So, you know, I, I just picked a path and that's what I answer, but the reality is I'm from Mexico, but actually from here, but actually grew up here and actually like now here. And so that's, that's really, I mean, that's really what everybody is. And the more mix you have, the, I think the better. I think what I've observed standing back watching how you all work, bringing together the creative and the data driven side is you're really able to help ask high quality questions of the businesses you're working with because you're so inclusive, because you have such a device, diverse nature in the business, you you know what people are looking for, what drives them emotionally, what drives their health, what drives their well-being. That's something that I've you know, observed working with H&G? Yeah, I mean, it all goes down to the foundations of marketing. I I mean, actually, a lot of the people that we work with don't have a background in business, but I, I have a bachelor's degree and an MBA, and I focused in marketing the whole time. And what has always fascinated me is that the principle is all about just identifying a need. And once you identify, it's either identifying or creating a need. Um, and then from there, once you have that, it's just a whole lot of reach and frequency in a way that it relates to the person. So figuring out that formula is a lot easier when, you know, you have the ability to to do that research, to ground yourself, to understand that and to ask the questions, um, which typically tend to come from 
you know, a lot of experience, (laughs) a lot of understanding. And what we mainly do is just deal with people and deal with the nature of people and how people react, how people interact um, from our clients all the way through to our target audience that we're trying to influence. So that's, that's how that plays a role in how we continue to, to grow and nurture it. That's so beautiful. I love that. When I met you, I remember you saying, I'm game for a good challenge. And I didn't really know you very well yet, but I've come to realize you're definitely someone who truly means it when you say it and you embody true grit. And so I mentioned earlier when I introduced you, you're an avid CrossFitter. When did you get into CrossFit and how does it translate to the, you know, tenaciousness (laughs) and problem solving of parenting and definitely in the workplace for you? Oh my gosh. I think it's more masochistic is the right word, but um, (laughs) yeah, no. So, I mean, I think I've always liked to move at a fast pace (laughs) and like parenting, you know, working in advertising is really volatile and really unpredictable. So my everyday environment is something that's constantly changing. And as you know, parenting is, (laughs) it's an adventure that you don't realize you signed up for (laughs) that tends to, to fluctuate and cause a lot of highs and a lot of lows. So, um, I actually have always been an athlete. So I've been I started competing when I was six and swimming, um, stopped swimming when I was around 18, then started running, did long distance. And so from there proceeded to start crossfitting because I didn't have time to run, you know, for an hour, two hours a day. So it's been, it's a nice way to get that high intensity in a short period of time. And for me, it's just a form of active meditation. So what I have found is, as you're dealing with parenting and you're dealing with the workplace, like you're dealing with a lot of things that you cannot control. And the one thing you can control is yourself. So making sure that you listen to yourself and that you're, I mean, it's not quite Zen, but you're at a place that you're calm or at least being able to control your emotions and how you respond to things um, is really important. So for me, CrossFit really has been that um, because it's so high intensity that you're just focused on that at the time and you don't think about anything else, which allows you to clear your mind. And I mean, some people meditate, some people do yoga. I have to throw things around. <laughs> I also started boxing. I have to punch a bag, but hey. It's, Did you it's really? Fun. Oh yeah. It's really fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have these crazy weighted sand balls and medicine balls. And by the end of doing those workouts, I'm ready to cry usually. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love that. But yeah, I mean, it's all about how you exert your energy. And if you have too much energy bottled up, it's going to come out on somebody. Um, So whether it's your kids, your husband, your employees, like you can't do that. So you have to find ways to to find your balance and to stay calm and to listen to yourself because otherwise <laughs> heads will roll. <laughs> they heads will roll. They will. I love that uh, thing you posted the other day where it was why I do CrossFit and oh, yeah. you were showing, you know, CrossFit and then carrying your kid by the back of their shirt. Like they're a gallon of milk or something. That was really funny. It's true though. It's so true. And I have two boys, so they never stop. They're always running, always climbing, always need to be, you know, picked up, moved, thrown something. So you just have to keep up with them. And I, I also want to be a part of it. So I need to stay in shape to be able to follow them at this point. Yeah, absolutely. As an older mother, I always tell my daughter that I work out so that no matter how tall she is or how big she gets, I can pick her up and carry her around. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, my six-year-old now is getting heavy. So I'm like, all right, got to keep going. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to do this otherwise. <laughs> Aww. I read an article on Medium where you were interviewed about leadership. 
In my private practice, I consult to CEOs and entrepreneurs whose goal is to scale their businesses, and that often requires scaling their personal lives first. Your comments in that interview about growth, they were really astute. I was really inspired uh, by how you shared. To grow and scale a business sustainably, it requires dialed in support at all levels of management and business. You were commenting on this. And you also talked about delegating, how to, knowing when to, so on. And that interview was almost three years ago. Will you share with us what you've learned as a leader in the past three years since then and how you've scaled your personal and your work life? Yeah, I think I've gotten even better at it, I would say. It's something that you know I've constantly been working towards. But I'll tell you, I think that's one of the biggest learnings as you progress in your career is that you need to back off. <laughs> so it starts when you're early lives, you know, you have your five-year plan and you want to start growing and you do your MBA part-time and you get that management title and then you start getting people reporting to you and you follow that path that you're supposed to take. But what happens is you start taking on more and more and more, particularly when you're good at your job and you find something that you're really, really successful at, everything starts getting piled on and you get to a point where the entire business is in your hand. And so what happens if you go on vacation or what happens if you go on maternity leave? It's, it's actually really high risk for the rest of the organization. And it's a lot of pressure on yourself. Like, I think it got to a point with my second child that I really questioned whether we should have another child because of the impact it would have on our business. And that should never ever be a thing, you know, it's, yeah, that's a tough question to ask. Yeah. And your personal life is really, truly, that's what's there forever. Work is something that you do a lot of the day, but it isn't what should define you in my opinion. And it took me a long time to figure that out. And I watch it with new employees when they're, they're growing and they're succeeding. They start working crazy hours and they start taking everything on. And sometimes you just have to sit back and watch them crash because you can, you try to help them, but they don't know yet. And it gets to a point where you just break down, you have a good cry, and then you go, oh my God, this needs to change. So (laughs) that's where you start figuring out, okay, how do I clone myself? Because if, if I could have an army of people that are just as good as me or better than me, then you made it. Like the key is to not be needed. (laughs) Yes. And great point. Yeah. And so with that, that's how you mentor. That's how you grow others. That's how you give others opportunity. And if you hold on to everything yourself, you're really just blocking the way um, and hurting yourself in the process. So that's really been a a big thing that we've been working towards. I can confirm that the latest vacations I've taken have been fairly seamless, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it used to be really, really painful. So we're in a good place. And I think from there to some of the work that we've done. So COVID, I think, was really helpful in setting some boundaries between work and life because everyone was working from home and everybody was just on all the time. So what we did is we started signing off at 6 p.m. We said no messages will be sent. So if you have an email, schedule it. It doesn't mean you can't work at night, but just save it for the morning. That way everybody doesn't feel the pressure because when Becca or myself would send messages, they were like, oh my God, management said something. And so everybody would jump to their computer all the time. So we try really hard not to do that. And then on weekends, I realized like I needed the rest time that if I worked all day Sunday, I would be miserable on Monday. So I just don't. I shut it down. I keep an eye on things. But um, yeah, it's been significantly better for me. And then I spend full time with my kids, with my husband, or I don't know, every once in a while by myself. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really wonderful. So yeah, I, I think that's that's a big part of professional growth to realize that work doesn't 
identify you solely and that balance actually makes you way stronger and happier. I think if you really dig into that point, it's a great conversation starter for those of us who say, like me, my work is my passion, my work is my lifestyle, but the word work can be put on pause. It can still be your passion. It can still be part of your lifestyle. You can extrapolate and pull things from it, but you don't actually have to do the heavy lifting seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think the thing is too, is like, yes, you can make the choice for work to define you, but you have to have something else from time to time because what happens if work goes away? Or Absolutely. What if work isn't going right. Or what happens when you screw up at work? That shouldn't affect you fun, like to the core the way that it does to some people or that it would have to me a few years ago. Um, it really is, it is something that you do. It's something that you're good at. And it is something you should enjoy because you spend half of your life doing it. But it's not the only thing. Absolutely. So your dad being an engineer and a mentor, have you talked to him about this a lot over the years? Yeah, well, it's been really interesting because I think so my my parents being the opposite, my dad on one hand, he has always been defined by work and he's retiring next year. And um, a year ago, he went through some career changes, transitions where he actually lost responsibility because he's on his way out, um, which makes sense for an organization to do that. And for him, it was very, very difficult because it felt like he was not succeeding. And um, all his life, he's been succeeding, growing, growing, growing. And just watching that happen was really interesting because you realize how much he has always relied on work and how much he has always talked about work. Um, and how, on the other hand, my mom has been reinventing herself left and right her entire life. And she has no problem switching, changing nimbleness, which to me is a bit more on the other extreme. But you have to have to find that happy medium because I always followed his path. And then I got to a point where, you know, when you get to the top, you start questioning things. And oh, yes, <laughs> I don't know if that was always the right way to do it. I think it it was very successful. And I think it's a really successful formula to, formula to follow. But it doesn't mean you have to follow it or that it's correct um, all the time. But yeah, I really hear you on that. I eventually hit a plateau in my private practice where it was just it was too stressful. It was exactly what you yeah. described. It became the thing that defined me. And I was really inspired to do a creative writing series. I was writing for a friend's website at the time, mostly on medical journalism, but it filtered into lifestyle. And I started researching different parts of the blue zones because of my background in epigenetics. Mm -hmm. And I was inspired by all the different Japanese concepts of living, ikigai, shoshen, uh, you know, all of the different things about work-life balance and shoshen is beginner's mind. And so when you said, oh, my mom, you know, she's always been reinventing herself every couple of years. I was also doing that, but allowed myself to be pressured by the idea of Oh, you 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 know need to work hard. You need to make a certain amount of money. You need to have kids. You need to do it this way. It needs to look like this. So eventually, I just took pause and did exactly what you you know did and asked myself those questions. If work goes away, then what? 
what yeah. what's really behind all of this. So I love that you're sharing from that perspective. You definitely ask yourself really high quality questions. And that's a huge part of what lifestyle design is, is being able to just take pause, see what you're inspired by, but also be willing to look at, you know, where the balance is perhaps tipping <laughs> a little too much. Oh, sure. Yeah. And it's like two different points, right? So the first one is what if work goes away? What that does is it removes the fear of work, you know, because you're always scared. Are you going to get laid off or is the business going to go under? Like, if you stop thinking that way, that removes fear. And then the other one, which is the most complicated thing that can ever happen to a person is becoming a parent. <laughs> oh, no kidding, right? I, I don't think anybody prepares you for the level of of guilt, the level <laughs> assumption, the level of stress, joy of everything that comes with that. And I think that's another one where you have to set your boundaries the same way you do with work. Like to me, like I cannot be identified as just a mom. I felt like everything, you know, you do is never good enough or there's so many guidelines to that. And that's another one. You have to pick your path and be like, nah, my kids are fine. This is how we're going to do yeah, it. We're absolutely. I can know they're not going to have a schedule today. You know? <laughs> that's, but yeah, that's another one that I think is just as work. It's so hard to figure out that balance. And that's one thing that I've, I've worked hard to do in terms of just being transparent of, you know, this is how it works. And now that we have other employees having kids, like never do I ever look perfect or appear perfect or <laughs> follow any prescription because that's not how, how that works. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I love that. That's just, yeah, exactly. That's not how that works. <laughs> I I was thinking uh, in that same interview, you were commenting on highs and lows and you're very logic driven, but as you know, business owners, we both know that highs and lows can be deeply felt. And you're already kind of speaking to this point, but aside from CrossFit, what's your practice for honoring where logic and emotion do intersect? Oh, yes. Well, emotion goes first. <laughs> you need your logic to kick in. Um, but I think for, for me, it's been a lot, one, learning and development, but two, I have my entourage. <laughs> I love I it. Alone. And I think that's the way to do it. You know, I, I have my wonderful hairdresser. I have my wonderful therapist. I have my CrossFit trainer. I have, um, so I have, I have the whole, the whole lineup. So that way, whenever you know, I, I need things. I invest in myself to make sure that I can get to a place where I'm, I'm good and understanding what's going on. Um, the other thing too, is that, that I've really improved on is don't do impulsive things, never act on impulses, sit, sleep on it. And then you do it because again, that allows you to ride out your emotions and figure out, okay, here's where I land. Here's what feels right. And then you do it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where, where I'm at with, with that one. But yeah, the entourage is, is key for survival. <laughs> I love that the entourage in uh, integrative biological medicine, you know, we always say, put your mask on first, you have to harness your nervous system, because then instead of being impulsive and reacting to your environment, you just naturally can take pause, you can sleep on it and come back to whatever it is that you need to attend to the next morning or later that day, etc. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like never, never act impulsively. I don't think anything good comes out of that. And whatever your decision is going to be, you can make it tomorrow. It won't change anything. So it's it's always good to come back and circle back when you're when you're in a better place. <laughs> yeah, I started asking when I got into belief work with my clients. I started asking them about 
consequences. And we would get into the topic of real or perceived consequences. And I would literally ask them, what's going to happen if you don't do X or Y? Are you going to spontaneously combust? And I would make such a big deal out of it so that they could literally take pause and ask themselves, run through the questions, what will happen if I you know, just take a minute if I sleep on it. And it's sometimes you have to stop and look at it that way so that you can break that habit of impulsivity. And so much of it is I have, like you said, I have my entourage. I go and do all these things and my nervous system is constantly healing. And then I serve all of the other people in my life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The way that I look at it. So this came from my therapist. He gets full credit for this one, but the (laughs) question of, you know, you only have so much energy in one day. Is this worthy of your energy? And so everything that I approach, I really do think about it. I was like, all right, are you worthy of my energy? Like, or am I going until later? Cause, um, that's really, that's really what it is. Like you, I, I, I think of things in really weird metaphors, but like, like I'm literally an energizer bunny. And when the battery runs out, I'm, I'm off. <laughs> so what, what merits that? And where do I want to put it? Because it's going to run out and then you got to replenish it. And so it's, that's kind of how, how I formulate things. Um, I always ask people, uh, okay, what do you want more of or less of? And typically their answer is energy. And then we get into it and it's sustained energy. And it's, Completely true. You only have so much energy in a day and thinking, being intellectual requires a certain amount of energy. I always say, okay, we can embrace the Super Mario effect, you know, where he bumps the box and gets the uh, mushroom, but still that only lasts for a certain amount of time. So this high level awareness of, am I um, a victim of my environment or am I in control of myself? Am I deciding what I allow my, you know, energy resources to yeah. be invested in? Such a great question. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, because at the end of the day, you know, everything we utter is about ourselves. So when you're dealing with someone on the other side, like you can't control them. They have, they have a whole history book behind them for the reason that they're acting the way they are, but you can control yourself. And so if you can master that, you'll go a lot further. Um, so whether it's through protecting your energy or just understanding your emotions and where they're coming from and how to respond to them in a logical place, I think that goes really far because the people you're dealing with, you cannot change. So you no. need to learn to navigate them. And that's, that's how that works. Absolutely. So let's come back to something you and I both love and value, which is traveling with our kids. I love that you have traveled all over really extensively with your young kids. Was it ever a question of whether to or not to, or did you always know you'd travel with your kids? And how about your parents? Did they travel with you? And what are you, you know, hoping that your kids might gain through traveling with you and your husband? Yeah, I love traveling. Um, yeah, so even ever since I was little, I think I was like six years old, my mom put me on a plane from Monterey, Mexico to Mexico City by myself, went to my grandparents and spent a month summer there, and then they would pick me up and I'd come back. I'd go to Spain with my grandma there. Um, so I was pretty used to hopping in planes and, and doing things. And then when I became a teenager, I I just always had a passion for it. So the moment that I was independent, I just started bouncing around by myself or nice friends I'd meet or whoever, however I could fund things. <laughs> right. But, uh, but yeah, it's always been very important to me. And one time in South Africa, I met this woman 
who had said that she had a goal of going to one new national and one new international place a year. And I really liked that. So ever since national became too much, but the international piece I've, I've really pushed for, and it's something that is my goal because otherwise I'll just stop doing it. (laughs) Yeah. So with that, even before we had kids, that was the biggest thing that I was willing, wasn't willing to sacrifice. Um, I even told my husband I wouldn't have kids until I climbed Kilimanjaro. And so he, he was like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so cool. I didn't then, know that. Yeah. And then we came down from the mountain and he's like, all right, you ready now? I was like, oh, <laughs> Love yes, it. I guess we're doing this. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's why when they were born, I mean, it's something that kids are nimble. They can do it. Kids can do anything. It's more, you know, you have to be prepared for them. It's not the same. Um, but you can strap them on and the younger they are actually the easier they are. And then the older they get, you know, you can use, you can cheat, you can use tools like screens and things like that <laughs> a little further, but napping in a stroller is fine. You don't need to be in a bedroom with the lights off and it kind of allows them to be a little more flexible and then to, to also see other other perspectives. So that's kind of my, my goal with travel is that I, I like to normalize it. Um, and to show them that there's more than just what's here, um, which now they're, they're the extreme asking for very exotic trips, but <laughs> yeah, but that's we fall into that too. Should we go to Japan or should we go to Hawaii? And my yeah. husband and I look at each other like, uh, do you yeah. have a job? I don't know what it is about Japan, but we're going through the same struggles <laughs> because Pokemon land is there. And so, oh, we, there you Japan, go. Like, um, so yeah, but we, our eight hour flight was, was a bit tough when they started wrestling. So they have work to do before I agree to that one. Oh my gosh. They must be so fun though. I know when we travel with our daughter, just, you know, pausing to look at the landscape and people watching, they come up with the funniest things in comments that they say about all of it. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's such a funny experience and it's very different. So we were in Morocco when my oldest was, I think like what, a year old, 18 months maybe. And so we had the jogging stroller. And so we would go through the Medinas and the markets. And when you couldn't get through, like anybody that was there would help you. So they would just lift them up like a sultan, like going down the Medina. Nice. Marrakesh. And we got to a point, like I really wanted to see a camel, a camel. And he wanted to see a camel. So this this guy shows up and he goes, I'll show you a camel. Follow me. And so we're like, all right. We follow <laughs> him up to his house and we get to this room and he goes, I found a camel and it was just a goat. <laughs> nice. That is hilarious. And my son was just like, oh, that's pretty cool too. So that's like, all right, cool. <laughs> like but you know, it's very different. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you keep a travel journal or are you just keeping all this stored in your mind? Um, I don't do a journal, but I make photo albums after we get back. So at least that way it's all it's all there and in one place printed too to go back to. Please tell me you have a photo of this goat. <laughs> I do. I'll send it to you later. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is so awesome. You recently took a trip where your kids got to see a very special person, your grandmother, right? Yes. Yep. And do they get to see her regularly or was this the first time? No, we go every other year. Um, I think we're going to start going every year. So she's 93 now. Um, So yeah, so we went this year, she got to see them. They got to play together and they hugged her and kissed her and it was it was really beautiful so um yeah hoping to be able to do that on an annual basis um as much as we're able to that is so cool i love that 
when people talk about, oh, should I travel with young kids or not? I always immediately am the person who's like, do it. It's so worth it. And I can't shut up about doing it because we just strapped in our kid when she was three months old and we've never stopped since. And we've just been all over with her. And I think that's why we love being her parent. She's so cool to hang out with. She's been exposed to so many people and places and it's really shaped her um, awareness and her compassionate side. And also just her, like you said, kids can do anything. They're nimble. It's really shaped our daughter's resiliency too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, and for us too, so we're, we're from everywhere. My husband's from Puerto Rico. My dad's side of the family's in Spain. My mom's side is in Mexico. And so there's a lot of backstory to where we come from too. And so part of why we do it is to understand, you know, you're from more than just one place. And so when somebody asks my kids where you're from and they respond from Rochester, I, I irk a little because I'm like, hey, <laughs> what else? <laughs> so that's also why we take them because then they come back and they're like, oh, we went to Spain to my family house and, you know, we, we gardened and we saw the more goats and <laughs> more goats <laughs> or my, we visited my uncle in Switzerland and there was a bull that tried to chase us and they start telling those stories and it just makes them realize that there's, there's more opportunities out there. And the key is to know that you're not just from one place and then you can be from other places and you can move and you can change. So that's really, I think also leads to a lot of lack of fear, which I think is what tends to hold a lot of people back. Um, and then what we've started doing more and more too, is just telling them more stories about, you know, their family, where they're from, where did they come from? And, you know, there's, there's some pretty fun ancestors that you slip in there. Like my great grandmother was in a circus. <laughs> and so oh, cool. Those are the types of things that are like, Oh, really? Tell me more. And so that's, that's really why also we, we travel, we, we expose them to these things because I think it, it makes them better. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more for sure. So I used to ask people, what words of wisdom can you bestow upon us before we close our conversation? But since this is a new series on lifestyle design, uh, I want to ask, if you were giving a commencement speech to college students, what wisdom would you bestow upon them? Uh, don't worry so much. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> I know, right? Really, truly. I think the biggest thing when you're that age is that there are so many unknowns and you think you just don't know the answers, but everybody else does. And then, you know, the older you get, you realize like, oh, nobody really knows. You just kind of make this up as you go. So don't worry about it. <laughs> that really is that. <laughs> oh my gosh. I vote for no worries. Absolutely. <laughs> I think about how many times a day I type that no worries, all good. And I, I really mean it. It's such a great motto. Like you said, sleep on it. Everything will be better the next day. Oh yeah. We'll figure it out. It's like my grandfather always used to say it's for instance, like a lot of times problems happen when like expenses come up and that's a whole drama. And he used to reframe it as like, that's, that's not a problem. That's an expense. Like just fix it. You know, it's like, oh yeah. So those are the types of things and the mentality that eh, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> Yeah, everything is going to be fine. And, you know, like you just shared, typically it's all about a reframe, just shifting your thinking. And as soon as you shift your thinking, your body responds differently and you can really embody what no worries means. Yep. That's, that's great advice. Well, thank you so much for being here. This is so awesome getting to catch up with you like this. 
Of course. Thank you for having me. This was great. All right. Well, until next time, be well, and we'll all talk to you soon. Thank <laughs> you.